right, let me invite you to take your seat this morning. It's good to have you in our house. We are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount this morning, and I'm very pleased to introduce you uh, to a good friend of mine, Pastor Pete Gregg is the reluctant leader, I think is how you've talked about it, the reluctant leader of the global 24-7 prayer movement. You still doing it? Are you still kind of reluctant about it? Or have you, yeah, given up the fight? Okay. <laughs> He's the pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Guilford, England, author of a number of really excellent books. He's released a few in the last couple of years on prayer and on hearing the voice of God, both of which are excellent. And uh, it's such a joy to have Pete with us. I'll just say this to you this morning, though. You know, we would never bring anybody here just because people like them and follow them on social media or that they're a big deal somewhere else. The reason, any, the reason that we would ever open up this pulpit to anybody or any pulpit at New Life Church to anybody is because there are people that know God. And I've known Pete for a number of years. And what I love about Pete is he's got a vast intellect and a deep heart and he's a deep well and he knows church history inside and out. But that's not the stuff that I love about Pete. What I love about Pete is that whenever I'm around him, I know that I'm with somebody who has been with God and been with God deeply. And when he shares, you feel that. His words lead you deeply into the presence of God. And so I'm so honored that you take the time to be with us. New Life East, would you give a warm welcome to Pastor Pete Gregg? Too kind. So nice to be with you. Thanks for having me. I, I've been coming through... You Life Church for about 15 years now, at least once a year, but this is my first time at East. And it's frankly, it's the best. It's the best. Uh, <laughs> it's, actually, I feel really at home because um, our church back in England, we're multi congregational like you, and um, one of our congregations meets in a school extremely like this, except. <laughs> except uh, <laughs> We, we don't have an entirely terrifying bear breaking out of the wall behind the small children. Um, I'm just going to throw that out there. I uh, also wanted to say, um, Harry and Meghan. Uh, guys, I just, I've been sent here to say sorry. Uh, and um, thank you for having them. And I prefer they're in suits. But, you know, for a few years, <laughs> we felt like we maybe had a chance of persuading America to come back, you know, into the British Empire. We threw the Beatles at you and Ted Lasso and Spice Girls and Downton Abbey. And, 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 then, and then the Queen's funeral, you guys went nuts. You were more into it than us. Half the world's population watched her funeral, you know, by far the biggest thing ever on TV. Uh, and we thought, okay, maybe... And then Harry and Meghan, we've blown it again. So uh, God bless you. And uh, just heartfelt apologies from us. Lovely to have my wife, Sammy, here today with me. Uh, she's rarely on these trips, so that's, that's a real treat. And um, I think the first time I uh, met your pastor, Andrew, was when you were up in, in Denver doing Bloom. Uh, so it's been beautiful to see the, you know, his journey and to see this, the continued growth of this fantastic uh, church. Um, I, I just sense in the worship, the Lord speaking to me, someone here, and, and the phrase I just got is, you being here at church today is a big deal. Like for a lot of people, it's just what they do Sunday morning. And, and kind of halfway through the third song, you go, oh yeah, I'm at church, you know. 
but there's someone here, it's a big deal that you've come this morning. And I want to say, well done. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for pushing through. And this stuff is real and true and life-changing and beautiful. And uh, welcome. So um, this is, I, I was trying to do the math. I think this is the ninth in a series. You guys do seriously long series uh, here. I envy you that. Are we, our people back home, we can't make them concentrate for that long. But the ninth in your series, going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And um, we are this week going to look at the absolute kind of essence of uh, that teaching. It's often been said that the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount is the manifesto of Jesus. And right at its heart in Matthew chapter 6, you have the Lord's Prayer. If, if the Sermon on the Mount is the manifesto, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, is the creed of Jesus. It's the heart of the heart of what he's all about. I'll explain that more in a moment. Here we have uh, in, in this scripture we're about to read together, the key to growing in a real conversational relationship with the God who made you and loves you and wants the best for you. And I'm excited as well to be talking about this with you because I believe, and I've been tracking this, watching this for many years now with New Life, there is a particular calling upon you, upon this church in the realm of prayer. It's part of your founding DNA. I mean, it's not every church that's got a friggin' world prayer center at the heart of it. You know, there's a thing here. Am I allowed to say frigging? I'm good. Okay, that's right. It's Colorado. <laughs> Can do that in Texas. And, and, and there's a call upon this church in the realm of prayer to be a house of prayer for the nations. And some of you sense that deeply. Some of you are like, what's that all about? But, uh, you know, I, obviously I teach on prayer all around the world. But I, I think there is something particularly on you guys as a church that is from God. So let's just think a little bit about prayer before we read the scripture. Uh, you know, to be human is to pray. All the research says that most people you know pray. Your neighbors, your colleagues at work, you know, school moms, uh, everyone uh, prays. The research is astounding, actually. Most atheists admit to backsliding quite regularly and praying. Um, they're terrible at atheism. And prayer, way more people than go to church, talk to God, and even believe that there's some power in prayer. And, um, you know, the root of the English word prayer is the Latin word precarious. We pray because life is precarious. It is scary. We feel vulnerable. We get scared. It is too terrible and too wonderful for us. And so something within us cries out to God when we need help or when we want to worship. That's why, you know, when someone holds a newborn baby, they just never go, behold, a biological fluke born into a meaningless universe. They, they, they instinctively say, that it's kind of a miracle. <laughs> and, and, and that's why, you know, when, when someone gets a, a terrible diagnosis from the doctor, they never walk away going, I really should pray about this. But, you know, I struggle with the whole prayer thing. They cry out to God. That's why when... On a stunning day like this, blue sky, white powder snow on Pike's Peak, 
you know, no one stands there going, it's magnificent because I am incredible. There's a sense of humility in the face of the glory of this world. The New York Times uh, best-selling author Anne Lamott said you can reduce prayer down to three words. Help, thanks, and wow. The Canadian psychologist David G. Benner says prayer is your soul's native language. And everyone's favorite rabbi Abraham Heschel says this, prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. Isn't that great? Prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of finding ourselves alive. So prayer is universal, uh, and yet, let's be honest, it's really, really confusing. We all come to the subject of prayer with uh, questions intellectually, We say, well, why do I need to pray if God is all-knowing, all-loving, and all-powerful, right? Raise your hand if you've ever thought that. Okay, so there's intellectual questions. Three people have thought about that. Well done. And then it can also be confusing emotionally because you think, I tried it and it didn't work. I got my heart broken. So do I dare to get my hopes up and ask God for a miracle again, right? And then it can be just confusing really practically. How do I do it? How do I grow in prayer? And in this passage, Jesus answers all three of these sets of questions. So if you're able to do so, would you stand out of respect for the reading of God's word? And we're going to read together Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. Jesus says, and when you pray, do you guys do it all together or do I read it? How do you do it? Let's do it together. I like you doing the creed together. By, that. by the way, where's Andrew who led worship? Where are you? He's having a cigarette out the back, you said. <laughs> anyway, I was, I was going to encourage you. Just someone encourage him. He did great. Anyway, here we go. Matthew 6. He, he, that was a joke. Sometimes we forget to smile when we joke in England. Matthew 6, 7 to 13. And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Do please be seated. When we say this more formally, we add that bit about yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory on the end. Which is, I mean, Catholics don't do it. It's only the Protestants that do it. But that's a little bit from King David we add on the end there. And I think we do it because we're like, Jesus, this prayer is a big deal and you end with the word evil <laughs> this is discouraging and so uh, somewhere along the line we thought we could improve on, <laughs> on the prayer of Jesus but anyway let's move on so um, this this passage here I've said it is the creed of Jesus and let me explain that some of you will know this but it was traditional in rabbinic schools at that time 
um, and Jesus was a rabbi who had his disciples, right? They didn't quite, hadn't quite worked out how big this was going to get. He's a local rabbi. They're his disciples. And, and the rabbinic schools would have a prayer that was like a set-piece prayer that was their statement of faith. This is what we believe. This is our creed. And so if you read Luke's account of what we just read, it's prefaced by the disciples saying to Jesus, you know, teach, you know, teach us to pray as John has taught, your, your cousin John has taught his disciples. So they're really saying, Jesus, you really need to hurry up and give us one of those like rabbinic prayer things. You're meant to do this. Like, you know, we, it's kind of embarrassing. We don't have our creedal prayer yet. And Jesus responds wholeheartedly with this particular prayer. And so that is why it isn't just a kind of guide to how to pray. In this, we see the absolute heart of the heart of what Jesus is all about. 300 years before the Council of Nicaea and that creed that we so beautifully uh, read together in worship, we have the Lord's Prayer, which, is, uh, which, which predates it all. And so here in 35 words in English, 38 words in the original Aramaic, we have something quite extraordinary. When we pray it, we pray it with two billion other people around the world. Part of this extraordinary global movement we call the church that comes together to conspire to fight injustice and to bring good news and color and life and forgiveness and hope into the world in the name of Jesus Christ. That's, it's not perfect, but that is the beautiful thing we're caught up in far bigger than any nation, any ideology. is the 2,000-year-old uh, movement that we call the Christian church that is gathering today all around the world in multiple expressions in palaces and in secret to do what we are doing to open the scriptures to worship Jesus and have our lives changed by who he is and at the heart of all of that we have this prayer that our father so there's this incredible sense when we say this prayer that we say it as part of if you like the communion of saints now some people say the Lord's Prayer is how to pray, but it, you shouldn't just keep repeating it because that is vain repetition. It's dead uh, religion. And uh, uh, th these people mean well, but they're wrong. I'll tell you why. Firstly, I have a friend, Bishop Graham Tomlin. He was uh, in the Holy Land, and he was uh, in a church service with the Syrian Orthodox. Now, the Syrian Orthodox, they're... Their shtick, their deal is they still do all their liturgy and worship in the original ancient Aramaic language that Jesus spoke. That's their thing, okay? Like no one else speaks it, but they do. And so my friend Graham heard them reciting the Lord's Prayer as Jesus would have said it. And he had the most astounding discovery. He heard that it rhymed. Jesus wrote you a poem. This rhymes. In the English, we lose the rhyme. We get it kind of occasionally. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Every worship leader ever since said, thank you. Nothing rhymes with Jesus, but at least we got that line, you know. Jesus wrote a poem, presumably because he wanted us to memorize it and recite it. We also know, and I'm sure that Pastor Andrew often talks about the Didache, which was the earliest instructions to the early church how to do church. And in there, the early Christians were told to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day, probably to mirror the way that the Israelites pray the Shema, the hero Israel, three times a day. 
And uh, in my own life, I start every day by praying the Lord's Prayer with this amazing awareness of how old it is, how centering it is, and how I'm doing it with this vast global family. And so uh, it's a powerful thing to build into your own spirituality. I want you to notice some extraordinary insights, therefore, that the Lord's Prayer gives us into what Jesus was like, how he thought, and what his priorities were. The first thing we see very clearly in the Lord's Prayer, because this is this ultimate window into his heart, is this. The way of Jesus is fundamentally simple. Just who here is like, oh, thank God for that. I, you get exhausted with, you know, there's always <laughs> you know, a new conference to go to, a new book to read, some new theological debate. It's exhausting. And here in these 35 words, we have something that is refreshingly simple. Verse 7, he says, don't keep on babbling like the pagans because the pagan religions at the time, you know, had all these incantations and, and words they would repeat again and again and again like magic tricks to try and kind of get God to do something. He's going, don't waste your time on that. Chill out. Don't keep on babbling. And then in verse 8, he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that reassuring? You say to me, well, why do we need to ask? Well, I kind of know what my kids need, but I still like them to ask and say, please. The best advice I ever heard on prayer, I've been leading a global prayer movement now for 23 years. We're in over 100 nations. I've thought a lot about prayer, and here's the best advice I ever heard, and it goes like this. Keep it simple. Keep it real, and keep it up. Keep it simple. Don't get too complicated. Keep it real. Don't pretend he sees you sitting on the toilet. <laughs> and keep it up. Keep it up. Sometimes you just got to persevere. So Sammy and I have some great friends um, who, I don't know how to say this delicately, let's just say they have better holidays than us. You know, they are, in fact, their entire life is kind of, nicer than us as. and, and uh, so one time uh, they, they came to us James and Julia and they said I said would you like to go on holiday with us and they're the kind of people you don't go I'll check my schedule go yes we're free and the holiday was <laughs> they rented out a, a, a catamaran you know one of those dual hull yachts on the Adriatic Ocean in Croatia and our family had one hull and they had the others and we kind of met in the middle for like drinks it was amazing and the seas were turquoise. There were living dolphins. Every, every night we'd drop anchor in some little lagoon. Our kids would all just jump in the water and start swimming around. The sun would set. It was idyllic. And there was one particular night where it was even more perfect somehow. We'd fished the kids out of the water. We'd wrap them in white snuggly towels. The sky was just ablaze. The sea was like a mirror. We're sitting there to, you know, to have, have our dinner on the back of this yacht. And just then this massive cloud of, of mosquitoes rose up. And some of you are so burnt out right now, you're thinking, good. I'm glad. I'm <laughs> Thanks. We've only just met. <laughs> and, and when this happened... My friend James, who became a Christian in his early 20s um, through a thing called the Alpha Course, uh, James immediately started to pray. And he goes, oh, Father, 
I, I, I just pray you take away these mosquitoes now in the name of Jesus. You know? and, and as he's doing it, I'm thinking, this is a stupid prayer. That's what I'm thinking. But I'm looking around, all my, like my wife, my kids, James, they're all eyes shut, like interceding, rebuking the spirit of mosquito-ness, you know. And I'm like, this is stupid for loads of reasons. It's stupid, like, ecologically. I bet mosquitoes play some important role in the whole cycle of life. I don't know if that's the Lion King or David Attenborough. But anyway, uh, and, 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 and I think mosquitoes... You know, God's busy with Ukraine and stuff. Probably too busy to optimize the alfresco dining arrangements of posh people on the Adriatic. Do you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm, I'm objecting theologically and ecologically, and I'm also objecting pastorally because my, my kids are taking part in this stupid prep. And when, not if it doesn't work, they'll open their eyes, conclude that the God in heaven doesn't really love them, and they'll become Satanists. So, do you know what I mean? So I'm like, I'm, I'm the, I've actually written a book on why God doesn't answer these kind of prayers. I'm that good on, on uh, and so I, I'm, this is what's going on in me. And then the most annoying thing happened. I'm still furious about this. The second, I mean, the second James said, amen, this gentle breeze rose up and just banished the mosquitoes. I, I mean, and, and it's like revival on our yacht, like, it's, oh, hallelujah, daddy God. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I've had my heart broken down here by things that really mattered you didn't do, and you do this? Now, I still don't know to this day if it was a genuine miracle or just a meteorological fluke masquerading as well. But this is what I do know. If you only ever pray about the rig, big, really gnarly problems in life, you'll only occasionally be grateful. But if you learn to pray about the tiny things, the small things, the parking spaces, the, you know, the, your kids' needs at school, the mosquitoes when you're trying to eat your dinner, if you learn to talk to God continually about small things, you will live with continual gratitude. You were designed to walk and talk with God in continual conversation. That's what it means to have a relationship with God. And we see this deeply and profoundly in this gorgeous story. Your prayer life is at its best, not when you're praying big, fat, onerous prayers occasionally, but when you're praying simple little prayers continually. When um, we got two sons, and when our youngest was very little, you know that stage where they're beginning to work out that writing is a thing, but they can't do it yet. He was at that stage, and so he he would like do all these scribbles and pretend he was writing, and we'd encourage him enormously. And one day he came to me and presented me with a page of scribbles. I think we've got a picture of this. This is Danny, and, and he presents me with these scribbles, and I go, "This is amazing." And he's like Shakespeare, it's incredible. You know, and, and he, he's there nodding. And then he, he spoke two words that struck fear into my soul. He goes, read it. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> so I'm staring at these scribbles. No clues. And then 
in desperation, I look at his little face and I suddenly realize the amazing thing, which is because I'm his dad, I, I kind of can read through his eyes what's going on in his head. And I kind of remember the weird little things he worries about and thinks about. And I think about what he's had for dinner. By the way, that wasn't a word of knowledge. He still had it on his T-shirt. And, and so I had a good old guess at what the scribbles might mean. And as I'm reading his scribbles, he's there nodding. And at the end, he said, well done, Daddy. It was very good reading. And I said, thank you, because it was some of the best reading I've actually ever done in my life. <laughs> Here's the thing. In prayer, we get obsessed with the words, the form. But your Father in heaven is not in any way interested in all of that. He looks at your face and reads your heart and thinks about the kind of day you've had and the weird little things that go on in your head and what you've had for dinner. And he interprets the words, the writing, the silence, the tears, and understands. Now listen, this is not just something I'm making up with a cute story. This is profoundly biblical. Listen to this. This is Romans 8. 26 to 27. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Just be before God. Use words when they're helpful. Sit in silence when that's helpful. Sometimes you'll, you'll have someone that you, you care deeply about and you, you don't even know how to put words around the things you long for their life. And it's okay just to, as it were, hold them before the Lord in prayer. Keep it simple. Keep it real. Notice as well in this passage uh, that, that, that the way of Jesus is reverent. It's worshipful. He says you should, you, should, you should frame your prayers, hallowed be your name. Start with God, not us. We, 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 we live our lives thinking the things we are feeling are the sum total of all reality. And that somehow the world is meant to revolve around us. And one of the things we can do when we come into prayer is to prime our faith by remembering that our feelings are not necessarily true, that we are not actually that important, but God is the center of all reality. And when we do that, the most beautiful thing happens. We find faith because we're not just doing some psychological meditative trick. We are actually standing or sitting or walking before the living God who made all things. Begin with worship. I, I, I travel quite a bit. Sometimes, you know, I'll be getting home exhausted. When our boys were younger, you know, I'm carrying my suitcase. I go through the front door. I, I kind of want a moment like, you know, in, in the Waltons, the kids just running to me, Papa, Papa, you know. And instead I walk through the door, put the suitcase down, I hear arguing upstairs. And I hear something like this. He's not sharing. Or, or, or maybe, Dad, what's for dinner? And I've been away for like 10 days. And I've learned, I just stand there, I go, nice to be home. And there's just silence. And you can just, the two boys go, oh, yeah. 
yeah, the old man's been away. And I come downstairs, all, <laughs> how was your trip? Very good, thank you. What's for dinner? <laughs> and that's okay, I'm their dad. The answer is pizza. But here's the thing. I just like them coming downstairs, looking at my face and giving me a hug first. Hello? Can I just encourage you, push back in a worship, Spotify playlist, read the Psalms, get around people who call worship out of you, whatever it takes, do that thing. There's this, and Andrew mentioned it earlier, this renewal that seems to be breaking out around America and actually around Europe too at the moment. And much of it began with a sign and wonder that took place at Asbury uh, University and had the privilege of being there. The, the leaders called me and said, will you come? We need you to meet with us behind the scenes. There was some really big stuff going on. But it was incredible to be in that chapel. Wednesday, 8th of February, a few students started to pray and then it just grew and grew and grew. By the Sunday I was there, three weeks ago, uh, there were uh, the, the police had shut the roads down. 100,000 people had come through. And uh, just the, the, the people were waiting for four to six hours just to get into the Hughes Auditorium Chapel there to, because the presence of God was so gentle but strong in there. And people were confessing their sins, getting saved, testifying. It was incredible. And that's now begun to multiply. And it's sort of converged in this miraculous way with the release of this Jesus Revolution film, which is just a reminder to a previous generation of what God has done in the past through places like Asbury and what maybe he could do again in our time. There's a renewal that's going on. But one of the marks of this is a call to holiness. In fact, if you step into Hughes Auditorium, you'll see over the, over the altar, it's just as holy unto the Lord, holy unto the Lord. And um, there's, 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 a, there's a challenge in this for us. One of my friends, he's one of the leaders in uh, the outpouring that was going on there. His name is Mark Benjamin. He's in his 40s. He's a, a pretty proficient worship leader. And there was this moment, because it's all 25-year-olds that are leading it, or un- under students are leading it. They've been worshiping night and day. And there was this pause. And it, it was like, um, he just said, do you want me to step in for half an hour and just cover for you guys? And they looked down at him, and they, I don't think they knew who he was, and they said, well, if you're going to lead worship for half an hour, you have to go out into the consecration room out the back and get prayed for so you're holy enough to lead in here. So he's like, oh, okay. So isn't that kind of cool? So he went out, and all these students praying for him, getting him holy, and he comes in, he's leading worship. After 20 minutes, someone comes and taps on his shoulder. He's there. Like, I mean, it's a big deal because, like, the world is kind of watching, leading worship, easiest place you ever led worship. And this guy whispers in the ear, says, I think you've done enough now. Can you get off? He says, why? They say, we just sense something's not right in your heart. He's like, oh. So he puts down his guitar, gets off the stage, and says, well, would you pray for me about that? A little bit later, the student who told him to get off the stage comes up and says, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize you're one of the leaders around here. He says, No. You were right. There was something not right in my heart. And thanks to you calling that out in me, I, I got my heart right with God. Thank you. Guys, that's leadership. Humility. Confession. Jesus has come before the Father saying, hallowed be your name. He's looking for a holy people. We haven't finished the talk. If you want to watch the rest of it, you can watch the one from Friday night. But we're going to respond now because I want to make sure that we finish on time.
I sensed um, two things for you guys. The first is that there's some people here this morning. You're pretty good at this conversation with God thing. You've been challenging God for years, but you actually never sealed the deal. You've never actually surrendered your life and come out as a Christian. You've never identified fully in that way. You've never confessed your sins and said, I'm going to put Jesus first no matter what. So you're good at challenging to God, but he's inviting you to put him first to become his follower. And then I sensed as well that there are others here. You're like, it's all very well what you're saying, Pete. But when you yelled, I've had my heart broken down here, that's me. I feel that. I feel areas of disappointment. And I'm not going to get into that in detail. I'd love to some other time. But I do want to say this. There comes a time where you draw a line and you say, I'm not going to let the pain in my history rob me of my future any longer. And as a child, you knew how to trust that which you did not understand. And when you become an adult, you think, I can only trust if I understand it, and it's nonsense. And the invitation of the Spirit at the right time is to say, God, I've had my heart broken. I don't understand why that thing happened or why you didn't do what I needed you to do. But where else do I go? Who else have I got but you? And as well as acknowledging the pain, I want to acknowledge the blessing and the favor and the kindness and the goodness and the miracles I have seen. And at some point, you have to draw a line and say, I'm going to start to believe again. I'm going to start to trust again. I'm going to start to pray some big prayers again. Yes, conversation with God, but also intercession that his kingdom would come, that his will would break in to my situation again. And so I'm not addressing your questions intellectually but I'm speaking to your heart here so what I'd love us to do please is stand if you're able together and we're going to finish by simply praying these words the Lord's Prayer together and as we do so for those of you who are thinking I need to seal the deal it was a big deal coming here today but I think I might be up for becoming a Christian I want to explore this I want to invite you to pray this as a moment of inclusion, the beginning of a journey. Talk to someone, maybe you know someone here, say, ah, that was me. And for those of you who've had your hearts broken, I want to invite you, when we come to that line, your kingdom come, your will be done, to make that the moment, say, I am going to put the past behind me and I'm going to step into a new season of trusting God, not naively, but trust in God once again. So let's pray this beautiful prayer with two billion others together now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
We're going to prepare our hearts here to receive communion. What a word this morning. Pete, I'm so glad that you talked about folks that had their heart broken. I was sitting listening to Pete preaching this morning. I think there's a word for a bunch of you, actually. I was thinking about how many people I have known over the years and how many people I know right now who would hear a message like this and they would go, gosh, I want to pray. But I just can't. I can't summon the words. I don't know what to say. My heart's been broken too much. And here's the beautiful thing about our faith is that our faith is not a proposition for you to do a bunch of stuff and make your life better. Our faith is God taking a body and then coming to hungry and thirsty and broken humanity and saying, here, are you hungry? Here's something for you to eat. Are you thirsty? Here's something for you to drink. Here is my own body, my own life. It's given for you. Just take this and eat. That's where the gospel lands, guys, in the invitation of Jesus to come and take and eat. And so I'm inviting you to come forward to the table this morning, and especially for those of you who just don't know what to pray, you don't even know what to say anymore, this is what you're going to do. This is how your prayer life is going to be rebooted this morning, is you're going to take the bread, and you're going to dip it in the cup, and you're going to take it into your body, and you're just going to say thank you. And you just say thank you until all of a sudden the wells of prayer start opening up again. Like that will be the way in which the highway is created for you to commune with God. And so we remember before you, Lord Jesus, that on the night that you were betrayed, after you had given thanks, you took the bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples and you said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, you took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus, here we are lifting bread and cup up before you, asking that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would inhabit these elements, and more than that, you would inhabit our experience of them so that the one who taught us to pray can start praying in us again. And our communion with the Father might be restored. So we say, come, flood us with your presence. Spirit, fall upon us where our hearts are broken, where we're disappointed, where we feel far from you. It's you coming after us this morning. It's you reaching out for us this morning. It's you pouring out love and life on us, awakening our response. So grant that, we pray. May we meet you here at the table, we're asking in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. I'm inviting our servers to come forward to serve communion this morning. Communion will be on the right and on the left. You'll exit down towards the center aisle, come up, receive the elements, and then head back towards your seat. Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God, and they're given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion.